Hello, Pregnancy Help Podcast listeners. We are delighted to welcome you for this great edition. Um, today we have Dinah Monahan with us, and Dinah is just a powerhouse of experience and wisdom and insight, and I'm so looking forward to kind of diving into this conversation. So Dinah, welcome. Um, as we get started, can you just share a bit about your uh, expertise and your journey of pregnancy help work? Yeah, I sort of, uh, well, I came by my pro-life commitment naturally. My mother created the precious feet. My mom and dad were back there with Joe Scheidler and the Wilkies, and they they sort of started the pro-life movement when Roe v. Wade went down. Yeah, elders all, in the movement. Yeah, banded together, but each one had a different approach, and um, and so I, I was raised in that. That was the culture of our home, and. Uh, so anyway, uh, and then I was always drawn to working with young women. And so uh, for six years, my husband and I had women three at a time. We put a trailer uh, on the side of our house for the, that served as their bedroom. That's one of the benefits of no zoning, but having a trailer on the side of your house is one of the <laughs> problems <laughs> with no zoning, too. Anyway, for my neighbors. So anyway, so that was... Alternative uh, maternity home. Yeah, program, it was yeah. funny. It was... Um, you know, I, I do have a philosophy, you do the best you can with what you have, and what we had was a trailer, and we took three girls at a time in, and uh, and, and we actually took girls with kids, which is a, it's just a whole new element. Uh, anyway, um, they lived with us, and we did that for six years, and our kids, they grew up with that. They grew up with, um, in fact, I have a funny story, my, my daughter, when she was in, I don't know, she's probably in fourth grade, the principal called me in my oldest and he says you know you need to talk to your daughter that not everyone who's pregnant is in crisis and apparently <laughs> there was a sweet little aide you know on the playground and she's watching the kids and and she's pregnant and harmony goes up and puts her hands on her belly and says you can come live at my house you can come <laughs> live with us and this girl is totally confused anyway uh but that's where i learned sort of the the nuts and bolts of it and if any of you remember, we wrote a, did a video and wrote something called the Shepherding Family Experience. Sort of coined that actually, the uh, because it was more within a family than than a maternity home, and uh, and then from there, I did other things. Always involved in pro life, but more activism, more, and but I was always drawn back, and so then I started a, a pregnancy center here in the White Mountains, and that became. Uh, two, and then three, one of them on an Indian reservation. So a lot of our residents are uh, Native American. And then um, then I started the maternity home, and then a secondhand store to support all that. And uh, then I retired about 20 years later. And so, uh, but I was very hands-on in the maternity home uh, when we did it. I, I met with all the girls. I uh, you know, I was very hands-on in creating the program, very, uh, in making the mistakes, and then figuring them out and saying, <laughs> let's not do that again. Uh, so anyway, so that's where I got my experience. And then uh, something else I did that, uh, if you would have told me I was going to do this, I would have told you you're crazy, but my husband and I visited Ethiopia. And uh, through a series of God events, it was crazy, we left there having started a maternity home with a young woman who everybody knew, very credible, and God had moved her 
to do this. And so I would fly back and forth. And let me tell you, running maternity homes in a different culture is, it's interesting. It's interesting, but it was a wonderful experience. It lasted for five years and we took 16 girls at a time. And every one of those babies was slated for abortion because uh, Messi would go into the abortion clinic and share with them that there's another way and then take them to the home. So uh, anyway. Well, Donna, you are a beautiful witness, both working internationally, kind of working in Northern Arizona and all the, all the, yeah, all the programs you've launched there, kind of coming out of the generations of, of life work. I know in this season of your kind of pro-life journey, you're thinking a lot about shame. Um, and that's kind of going to be the focus we're going to talk about here for the next, mm-hmm. uh, next uh, bit. So just trying to I know that kind of this this notion of shame has captured your attention, your thinking, your study, your prayer, and your really your desire to help shape and, and heal um, in that area. Can you just introduce us to the concept, like what what's going on and what what has made your attention go there? Uh, yeah, this is a, a different season for me. Um, I wanted to mention, by the way, that because it ties into this, that as I was running the centers. Um, I really felt that we needed to connect with the young women and I started Earn While You Learn and I wrote all the Earn While You Learn, the older stuff, not the stuff my husband, my, I'm sorry, my son is doing now, uh, Brandon, but the older stuff, you know, in the notebooks. And I wrote that and I started the concept actually. And so it ties into what I'm doing now because I saw, um, I would work with these young women one-on-one and when you did earn while you learn, you really talked to them a lot more. You got to know them. You And then I did a lot of work with them and uh, lay counselor. I'm a trained lay counselor. And, but one of the things that I realized in working with them that there was uh, so much, I'm going to use the word shame, but it's used in a different way. It's not shame for what you've done, while there is that, but it isn't shame for what you've done. It is a lens through which you see yourself and the world, and you feel that you are flawed, less than, and not enough. And that there is something wrong with you that's not wrong with anyone else. And as I started working with the young women and women that would come in, then I started working with the client advocates. And then I started working with, you know, the volunteers and the staff. And every, uh, I realized that so many women have this. If you came through abuse, if you came through molestation, if you came through alcoholic uh, impaired uh, homes if you, uh, or drugs, if you came through a hypercritical parent who just uh, always criticized you and was very harsh, a child can do nothing but come to the conclusion that something is wrong with them that's not wrong with anyone else. And so it's a different kind of shame. Uh, you know, shame for what we've done wrong is not unhealthy. In the sense, then, it brings us to repentance. So uh, we're not talking about that kind of shame. Uh, but we're talking about a soul deep sense that something is flawed in me that is not wrong with anyone else in the whole world. God made a mistake and he can't fix this. Yeah. So I guess I hear you talking really about kind of your core identity, right? The things that you believe about yourself, you know, that, that, that having the shame, you know, there is a healthy shame, right? From what you did. I, I, I heard you say that, but this is more about 
kind of that core belief about who I am. It is um, very much your core belief. And here's the sad part. Uh, I see women who are Christians, and this is mostly what I worked with uh, in, in uh, counseling. I, I would say my, my forte, where, where God used me most powerfully, was with women who were Christians, and, and yet they had so much shame, and they became Christians, and then they filled in the blanks, you know? I will feel good about myself when I, when I, when I, when I, and so they get, go into performance mode because that's what they know, and so they start performing, and they still have that sense it's, it, it, something is flawed in them, and and you know, if someone gives them a compliment, and anybody who has shame knows this, someone gives them a compliment, they don't think, oh, wow, thank you. You know, that's a gifting of God. They think, I've got her fooled. They feel like phonies. They feel, and and so I found so many women in our churches. And it's women from our churches that staff our uh, centers, and our maternity homes. And so many women come to us with this shame. And the problem is they go to church and then they find, oh, you know, here's the prescription performance. If I do this and do this and serve here and do this and do this, but that isn't the issue. The issue is so soul deep that and performance only masks it. And then they feel like a failure and a fool. And so uh, I ran into this, I can't even tell you how many times and how many of our volunteers, even uh, board members, <laughs> it was uh, really crazy how much I encountered it. And it's because nobody's addressing it. It's being addressed more, by the way, but it's not being addressed. And it is the truly the identity of who you are in Christ and, you know, I, I have a true story of a woman, a Christian woman came to me and, oh, her, her childhood was horrific, horrific. It was, uh, Dickens couldn't have come up with it. And um, so when I, I told her to imagine the children, how much Jesus loved the children and imagine the children and imagine her coming to Jesus as a child and him just wrapping his arms around her and loving her because she was precious. And she looked at me and she said, you want to know what I see? When I imagine that, I see him gathering all the other children on his lap. And then when I walk up, uh, he points to me and says, no, not you. Get out of here. And this mm. was a woman in our pews. This yeah. is, it is so rampant. It is Satan's greatest tool to keep women. They're saved, but they are held from what they're created to do. And that is to worship God in, in spirit and in truth. Yeah. So we all know we want to help. We could see that in other women, right? And certainly we, and I, I hear you saying that, you know, both, both the caregiver, right? Myself listening yes. to you, I'm like, Ooh, I've got a little echo of that, you know, that, that can ring true if I'm not careful, you know, and, and needing to address it in my own life first, but then also wanting to address in the lives of our residents and our right. clients. Can you talk about that journey of, okay, I see this in myself as something that needs healing and attention. Let's talk about first me as a caregiver. What's that journey look like to start to look at that in my life? Well, first of all, you know it's there, uh, and I have a whole list of things when you're uh, hypersensitive to criticism because 
someone with shame, when they make a mistake, it, it says to them they are a mistake. They cannot make a mistake. They cannot be wrong. And so when something's pointed out to them, they react because they can't be wrong. Because in their heart, not even their mind, their heart, if I make a mistake, it just proves I am a mistake one more time. And so they constantly, so that's a, a difficult thing. If you have a caregiver giver who can't be wrong, um, they have contempt for others. Uh, they can be, or they can have self-contempt. Uh, they, it's called finger, the fingerprints of shame and in the book. And these fingerprints show up. And so what you find is you're dealing with a shame-bound client, 100%, every single one that walks through our door, and you have a shame-bound caregiver. And so there's an old saying, hurt people hurt people. And, um, and so you find that it, there's conflict or you take it personally, you know, so you take things, uh, a caregiver takes things personally that because they push your buttons, these girls will push. If you've got issues, they push your buttons and they don't mean to even, but it's just the behavior and the words push your buttons. And so, um, you aren't even aware you have shame. That's the other thing. You aren't even aware you have shame. And I look at caregivers. Okay, I, I, I jumped into it, three girls living in our home, and I ran into a situation where, well, the first four girls loved me, and they wanted to be like me. You know how that is. You know, I want to start a home, and I want to take girls in. And they, you know, they just want to be you. And, and uh, then the next one uh, hated me hated everything about me, my cooking, my parenting. There wasn't one thing she liked about me. And I remember once I was trying to uh, look um, loving and I put my arm around her and she threw my arm off. And anymore, by the way, I asked permission, but she threw my arm off and she, don't you ever touch me. And, and I would love to tell you that she left a different person because of my just love, unselfish, <laughs> unconditional love. Well, here's the reality. I found myself wanting to hurt her. I didn't want to hurt her physically, although, well, I, wa I wanted to hurt her because she was saying really ugly things to me. And Dad Gummit, I'd sit there going in my mind thinking, what could I say back to her? I'm going to tell her how the cow ate the cabbage. And uh, anyway, and I've, I grappled with that because it didn't fit my ideal of this loving, wonderful person. And so it was me who walked away very different because when God finally got me on my face and asked me the question, you know, who are you doing this for? Who are you doing this for? And I had to acknowledge that uh, much of it, even though it was a, the heart was there and it is what I was called to do, this is part of the equipping. And the equipping is in the breaking. And in it, I had to admit that I, you know, I thrived on the good words and the kind words and the appreciation, but let them be like that. And um, uh, my true nature came out. And so I had to really surrender that and grapple with that. And, um, and it was a real journey to not take things personally. Yeah. What's the alternative, Dana? So I heard you use the, the word um, shame bound. So what, what are you trying to bring people to, I guess? True, truth. That's a great question. Truth. All life is lies and truth. And the lies of shame are so pernicious. And if I were Satan, I mean, that he is the father of lies. And so he blinds us to the truth. And so the lie says, I'm not enough. The lie says that person is, is being critical. The lie says my feelings 
are hurt and that's what's important and that's paramount and uh, I have a right to, you know, rip into you. And the lie says um, that you're nothing. In which case, people who feel that way act out. Um, the lie says that uh, you are not enough, that you are insecure, that the lie keeps you so focused on yourself that we don't have time to focus on God or others. And so um, the walking in truth is the only way. And scripture, oh my gosh, truth is throughout scripture. It's stunning when you do a study on it and walking with truth. And But Christ said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. He didn't say, I'll show you the truth. He didn't say, I'll lead you to the truth. He said, I am the truth. And if Christ is the truth and Satan is the father of lies, then life boils down to truth and lies. And if you believe, if you have shame and believe that you are less than and that you are uh, uh, just unworthy. Not, all of us are unworthy in a spiritual sense. I understand that. I'm saying unworthy of the love of Christ. That's a lie. And so if he can keep us in these lies, he keeps our personal relationships in turmoil, us in turmoil, and always focused on self. And I think that's the greatest thing is that we end up always gauging our feelings, gauging what other people are thinking, gauging how we're doing. Are we looking loving? Are we looking spiritual? How are, and this is something that we, women battle. And then let's talk about comparison because that's one of the fingerprints of shame and always comparison, comparing ourselves with well, that woman really has it together. Well, you know, I'm, I'm better than her. And it's just this crazy in your head, focus on self in an effort to be spiritual. Yeah. Um, that's no, there's, there's profound good truth there being spoken. Yeah. Thank you for that. So what's, what's the journey look like then from shame to the truth of who I am? What are some of the things if people know that they, or they see it in their clients, they see it in themselves. What does that journey of kind of rooting out the, the untruth that, that exists? Right. How does, how does one go about rooting that out? Well, and now I'm going to talk about, um, what I have created over years and years of working with women, um, the first thing I want to say, there's an adage, you don't know what you don't know. And so women who have a lot of shame, act out of shame, don't know what it looks like. They're not able to say, oh, that's my shame speaking, because it's just how they are. It's, by the way, it's passed down generationally. So for years I worked with women, I women and I created an entire... Uh, notebook, a whole uh, program that they went through. And it really laid out on a scriptural level and um, a heart level and a head level what shame looks like, how to identify it, and then how to speak truth to it and how to combat it with truth. The first thing someone has to be is, is willing to, you have to become vulnerable and transparent and with God in the beginning. And so I start out with giving God your worst and I have giving God your worst. And I've given this at heartbeat and a whole lot of places over the years anyway, but giving God your worst talks about how we need to be come to a place where we're willing to go to God with our hands full, lifted up to the cross in surrender with the ugliest things that we try to hide from him. 
those are the things we have to get to that point where we're willing to say, uh, you know, instead of hiding it and trying to perform for him, we go back into that very back closet in that um, filthy house and we go back and open that closet and pull out the, the worst and then walk it to the cross and say, I can't fix it. I can't change it. Um, I can't make it better. Lord, I can only surrender this to you. And so you have to start a journey of surrender. And when you do, what happens, and this is it's very important for house mothers and client advocates, because when you get offended, you have a choice. You either react and um, then react, then that breeds um, anger or bitterness or um, just discord, or you take that and you surrender it. And you say, I can't fix it. I can't change it. I can't make it better. I can only surrender it to you. But in doing that, you are pouring your worst out and allowing him to fill you with him. And so when we set out to love these girls, um, we have to realize that our love can't love these girls. Our human love, ah, our, our uh, self gets in the way real quick when they trigger us. But what we want is we want to take our very limited, very fragile uh, human love, and we want to pour it out in all of its inadequacy and surrender it at the cross and say, I can't love like that, Lord. You know that. I, I'm bitter. I can't do, be honest, surrender it, and then say, Lord, give me your love. And eventually, if you do this over and over, by the way, this isn't a one-time fix, but if you <laughs> yes. do this over and over and over and over and over, really and truly, Jesus fills your heart with uh with his love and his he, he he replaces it and that's the difference uh when we try to manufacture our love toward these girls it just doesn't work by the way nice is not a uh social skill uh or a virtue no nice is a social skill it's not a virtue kindness is a virtue and kindness comes from a christ surrendered a heart that's surrendered to Christ. Niceness comes from uh, being able to socially interact with someone in a pleasant way until they cross you. Oh, boy, I was taking notes like mad. So that's great. So um, I know you've developed kind of giving God your worst as one curriculum yes. and this habit, it's like this this whole uh, pattern of learning to surrender, you know, mm -hmm. surrender inadequacies. I definitely heard that. How does that tie in to the, the next step? I know you've kind of gone from that piece into this whole idea of healing from shame. Is that the process? Is it the process of giving God your worst kind of over and over again? It is, but it's just the beginning because when I take women through the shame process and we start going back into their past, and I'm sorry, you got to look at your past because your past isn't your past. If you came from dysfunction and you're in pain, your past is your present. It's not your past. And it's there lurking all the time. Sometimes it backs away. But just make a mistake or do something stupid, and it's right there on your shoulder. And so uh, when we start unpacking the lies, and t I teach women how to challenge the lies, and so... Uh, and how to recognize the lies. And so we lay a foundation and then we go through their past. And then we, we do, uh, I work on uh, allowing the little girl to speak because uh, women actually arrest emotionally when, in, when they have trauma or 
extreme dysfunction. And so emotionally, they stay little children, and it's the little girl that is reacting if people get too close or cross her. or you've, you, Most women know her if you put her that way. Yeah, I know that little girl, because they're still a little girl emotionally, so physically they're grown woman uh, and intellectually, cognitively, they're, they're mature enough, they can function well in the world, but emotionally they respond as a little girl, as that wounded little girl. And so we do a lot of work with that. And, and here's the good news. I have taken all of this, finally, I have been threatening to do this. I used to tell my kids, I, I know I won't die because I know God wants me to do this. And so I won't <laughs> die until I've done it. Well, they're a little nervous now. <laughs> <laughs> my, That's hilarious. my son said, Mom, you got to make another goal here. Because, <laughs> because I did. I told him that. I said, I know because I know that I, uh, the, my heart's desire from all, everything that I do, my heart's desire is that I could, I put this message in a way that others can take it and they can both learn it and heal and then teach it. And it's, and it's, I did it. I actually did it. I put it in a video series. So Giving God Your Worst is a video series of six. And uh, and then the other, it, Breaking the Shackles shame, of Shames is a video series of 14. And then, and this is all on um, uh, Heritage House's um, bright, bright Training. But then I went I also made one to train client advocates how to work with their clients and what does shame look like and how to help them. And then I made one for their clients, which would be the girls in your in your homes. And it is how to raise children uh, without shame. And so I put the, this is a huge package. But what happens is when you show this to your client and she looks at that and she says, oh man, I've got a lot of shame. And then what happens is the client advocate watched this intro. It was really an intro on shame, but how to recognize it and look at it and talk. And I've gotten a lot, a lot of emails that say, I realize I have a lot of shame and I need help. So then they watch Giving God Your Worst and then they watch Breaking the Shackles of Shame. After they've done that, if they feel they want to help other women walk through the same thing, uh, I have a retreat, and I actually did a, a house mother's retreat. Uh, not a lot of people showed up, and that was actually God's hand because the ones who did were profoundly impacted, and they actually were instrumental in pulling together this that we are that I'm doing. It was like, wow, we all sat around talking, and this is the end result. So I started a ministry called Psalm 51. And if you read Psalm 51, that is my heart. God does not desire uh, burnt offerings and sacrifices, but rather a broken and a contrite heart. That's what he wants. And so, uh, so we started Psalm 51 ministry, and all of this is in the context also, it's up on the website, uh, of Psalm 51 website. And then when you come to a retreat, further healing happens, but you've already watched the material because that was a hangup for me. People were coming to the retreat, but I was having to teach the material and they were walking away, you know, like jaws down, dropped, uh, eyes big, just like, wow, they, you know, <laughs> whoa, boom. What just happened? Yeah. yeah. And yeah. so I thought, oh, this isn't going to work. And so I put it out there. It's all out there on video. And then they come to a retreat uh, we only take 16 at a time. It's up in the mountains of Arizona. And uh, it's it's a retreat center. Actually, this is something I did that God just 
each step of the way, well, actually, I'm going to regress even further. My husband died five years ago in March. And I, I uh, said at that point, after about a year of grieving and pulling into myself and just uh, walking through the grief process, I said, okay, God, what do you want me to do? Two months, I prayed that. And just conversation back and forth, because I have a lot of options. And you know, I could travel, I could speak, I could consult. There's a lot of things I, I had options. And I woke up one morning and it was do retreats. And then it was, well, I don't want to travel God that much. You know, I don't. Uh. And so anyway, the next one was, we'll build your own retreat center. And from that point on, everything fell in place like you wouldn't believe. And I have this beautiful Robin's Nest retreat home. And we've been doing retreats for four three years now. And uh, we do retreats for Apache ladies. We I just did a, a second retreat for moms who place for adoption. Oh, we love them. But we uh, I have a, a whole um, group of volunteer women who cook and love on people. That's they they volunteer and they just love it. And so when you come to a retreat, where you get training, you all have the understanding because you've gone through and then we work on both healing, clarification, and training you how to use all the tools that I have in that book on other women. What to listen for, how to, uh, you know, replace it with truth, how to do a lifeline, how to work with uh, the little girl inside. All of these things will be addressed at the retreat. And then hopefully, uh, it would be perfect for your, your um, house parents to be able to know this stuff but also take their girls through. Yeah. When I talk about the work of maternity housing, my little summary statement is um, belong, believe, behave. And the idea really being first, you create an environment of belonging, right? right. Whether that's you feel safe here, you feel you're welcome here, you're wanted here. Right. Um, but the next stage is really to be believe, like what are the beliefs that she has about herself? And everyone knows that's crucial, right? right. We all have a sense that that's such the important work of maternity housing. And I hear in what you're offering here is really a chance to kind of enter in to those beliefs um, so that you can start to talk about behaviors, right? We start, we tend to maybe want to jump to behaviors, Absolutely. Um, but, <laughs> but I hear you saying that here's a practical resource to really look at the beliefs that she has about herself and, um, oh. and help shift those so that you can start to talk about behaviors as well. Absolutely. In so. fact, I don't, you know, you can address behavior. We have to be authoritarian at some point. You can address it with rules and they need to knuckle down. But how much better to, to have an understanding of where she's coming from so that we can get in with her and help her understand why she behaves the way she behaves. And that's what I, I do. I mean, that's the work that I do. So, so for instance, uh, you know, when I was a client advocate, I would tell, oh my, I would tell girls they're beautiful and they're talented and all the affirmations we're supposed to give. Well, when I figured out about shame, what I realized is they weren't hearing it the same. It, they, uh, especially the beautiful part, and, and oh, I hear so often, even among client advocates up here, you know, oh, it's such a tragedy. She's so beautiful. Well, first of all, let's take that apart. We should never be saying that. That places her value on her beauty. And, you know, because she's more beautiful, it's more tragic. I don't think so. But those are just things that we say. But then when we say to her, you are so beautiful, you can be anything you want, blah, blah, blah. And she's coming from a place of shame. You want to know what she hears? 
huh, I've got you fooled. You don't know me. Because she doesn't feel beautiful. She feels utterly and completely flawed and fundamentally flawed. There's no fixing her. And she is a mistake. So when you tell her that, that she's beautiful, she just thinks you've got her fooled. It's not a help. Actually, it's a hindrance. It's feeding the lie. And we'd never know that. Yeah, no, it's super insightful. Um, yeah, super insightful. Well, Dinah, we are almost at time, and I want to give you the opportunity to just close. So much of what you said has been so encouraging um, for those in the movement um, and to help kind of give something really practical to, to really speak to her heart and her head and, and what a gift that is. And I'm so glad you've captured it all and put it together <laughs> in a method that we can learn from and teach others. And um, and I know additional opportunities to think about those things will be coming through. Maybe we'll plan another retreat, um, but would love to have you close with just uh, for those that are in the movement, maybe those that heard you know, echoes of all this kind of resonate in their own experience, you know, the fingerprints, right? They, right. they recognize, hey, I've got some of those fingerprints. Maybe just to close with some encouragement sure. for them um, as they do this work. Well, first of all, I can tell you uh, where they can go, where this material is housed. Uh, if you go to the website, one. So all you got to put in psalm 50.1 all spelled out and it'll bring up our psalm 51 website and then if you go to resources go to resources and you will see the videos and one of them is giving god your worst and you can download the books or you can order them from us but you can download the books that go with it um it's by chapter and there's six chapters there. And after you watch that, they can then watch Breaking the Shackles of Shame. It's all there. It's free. The downloads are free. It's, it's there. My, my heart's desire is to get this information out and then get other women uh, teaching it, training other women. And then the next thing is poke around the website. Look at what we're doing, what we're about. Uh, on the left or on the bottom, you can register uh, or subscribe. And I've got blogs and uh, other things on there. And and there's also a, a place, if you look at About Us on the very bottom, it says Robin's Nest. You can see where the retreat is. The next thing, if they feel they want to be able to teach this material, sign up for a retreat. We are full. We put this out, what, a month ago? and uh, And in one month... Our first three retreats are full. Uh, oh, praise God. Yeah, March, April, and May. We've got dates wow. in June, July, August. You come come on Thursday morning. Wednesday, we pick you up at the airport if you fly in. By the way, it doesn't. It costs $25 and, uh, for you to come to the retreat. I'm Truly, my heart is in just getting women here. And so uh, anyway, so then they can come to the retreat. And you leave, you leave different than you came. That's what I can tell you. But you are loved on, fed. And, um, and, and so all of this is available to all your house parents, to all your house mothers. I'm, I don't work with men. We are going to come up with a man's version of this at some point. But I work with women. I understand women. And I don't understand men. So I, I work with women. And so all the house mothers... 
Mary, if you want to plan a retreat just for house mothers, then you talk to your ladies and let's do it. Let's do two retreats. I can take 16 women. I will teach all of this, expound on it, love on you, laugh with you, share my mistakes so you won't have to make those two. Absolutely, you. It, it'll be a, a turning point in their lives. Oh, sounds like a beautiful opportunity. Thank you for that. Uh, and we'll definitely add those links so that they're easy for people to access. Um, Dinah, thank you for sharing of your own journey and then sharing of kind of what, what the Lord has brought you through as you've had to look at these things in your own life and work with women. Um, yeah, just thank you for, for giving that to the world. What a gift that is. Um, any closing thoughts as we sign off here? Yeah, what a journey yeah. we're on. Don't you love it? <laughs> yeah, it is exciting. It's good, messy, hard work. I, I love the interplay of caregiver and care receiver, you know, the client, oh, right? Yeah. That that so much brings out in us and we're all on our own journey as we try and love and serve these women. So Yeah, but we, we go bit. into it thinking there's a part of us, well, I'm the house mother, I'm the caregiver, and they're, you know, they're the ones needing help. It's a humbling, a, a good humbling to realize that in some ways we're all in the same basket here. And um, as we help them, God also brings us along to help us. Yeah, beautifully said. Well, thank you so much, Dinah. I'm, we will sign off. Uh, podcast listeners, we'll see you on the next edition of Pregnancy Help Podcast. Uh, Dinah, thank you so much. Grateful for it. You're a, you're a treasure trove. So blessings on everyone. All right. God bless, Mary. Bye-bye.